This week, we continue our series, We Believe. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we were looking at the fourth petition, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. We saw how every good and perfect gift that we have is from God, and that He gives to all, the wicked and the righteous alike. And that when we pray that God give us our daily bread, we are praying that God would be at work in our hearts, that we might be thankful for all that He has given to us. We also looked at how God has called us to give, how at times he provides for people and for his church, for his mission, through us. This week we are in the fifth petition, which states, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This one can be a bit of a powder keg. Forgiveness is hard. As we look at this petition of the Lord's Prayer, we'll be in the book of Ephesians, and we'll be in chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 to 10. Paul has a lot of great things to say to the church in Ephesus, and I, I love the way that he lays out the gospel so strongly in the beginning of this letter. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians now. If you prefer to follow along in, in a Bible, but you forgot yours at home, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you, or if you prefer... Theoretically, the words will be on the screens, but you might want to go with the Bible this morning because I'm not 100% confident that they're going to be up there like they're supposed to be. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, we read the word of the Lord this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. In Matthew 18, 23 to 25, Jesus tells his disciple a parable about an unforgiving servant. The servant owes the king more money than he could hope to repay. It would be something like a cashier at Stop and Shop owing millions of dollars. They have no real means to repay that. They are barely making enough to survive. They, they aren't going to be able to repay a multi-million dollar debt on, on top of it. And so this servant is brought before the king and the servant begs for mercy, which, to the surprise of all, the king grants him. The debt is forgiven. There, there is no more debt. It's, it's done. The servant walks out a free man. Because of his debt, he, he was to be thrown in prison. But, but because... Of the gracious act of the king, he is set free. And in his freedom, the servant seeks out a fellow servant. We'll call him Hector. Now, Hector owes this servant about a thousand bucks. Hector has a problem with gambling, and, 
and made some bad bets trying to dig himself out of some holes. And now he finds himself owing this servant of the king. Hector begs the servant for more time to pay off his debt, but the servant isn't having any of it. He sends Hector to jail until the poor gambler will be able to pay him back. How do you think the king feels when he hears about the actions of his servant? He is not impressed. He seizes the servant, reinstates his previous debt, and locks him away in prison. So why am I telling a story from Matthew 18 this morning? Because this is the story Jesus told Peter and the disciples when Peter asked him about forgiveness and how many times he should forgive those that have sinned against us. Forgiveness. This can be a pretty, pretty heavy subject. And so because of the weight of the topic, it's important to understand what forgiveness is. If you look up in the dictionary, you'll see things like to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. And I think that's what we typically think of when we think or when we talk about forgiveness. But I don't think it's completely accurate or a completely accurate definition of forgiveness in the biblical sense. An alternative definition that the dictionary offers is to cancel a debt. That is a much more biblical way of looking at forgiveness, for, for that is what has happened for us in forgiveness, is it not? Our debt of sin has been canceled like the servant in Jesus' story. The debt was, was taken away. It was removed. It was canceled. When you forgive someone, you are no longer seeking spiritual justice for the wrongs that have been done to you. The, the debt has been canceled. And I think that's a healthier way for us to view forgiveness. One of the reasons I believe that to be true is because it's possible to forgive someone when the debt is canceled, even though you're still sorting out your emotions. There are people that have hurt you, and, and even though you believe you have forgiven them, when their name comes up or you see their picture, you'll, you'll realize that you are still angry about what they did. The hurt is still present. The pain is still real. And that's, and that's a part of life. That's a part of being human. You can cancel someone's debt and still not like them, and still be dealing with the emotional damage that they have done to you. And another reason that I believe this understanding of forgiveness is healthier is because it's harder to abuse. How many times have we seen someone forgive the ones that have hurt them, seek to move past their feelings of, of anger or resentment, and then enter back into the same cycles that set up the abuse, the hurt, in the first place? The classic and tragic example of the boyfriend or girlfriend who has been physically or emotionally abused by their significant other. The significant other comes to them in repentance and the aggrieved party pushes past the anger and the hurt, believing that is how they are to forgive the person, believing that is what forgiveness looks like. They take down the healthy boundaries that they have put up to keep themselves safe from this person they had feelings for and position themselves back into a place of vulnerability towards this person. And the next thing you know, they are once again dating only for the significant other to once again become abusive, and the cycle continues. We know how this goes. We've seen it, or possibly even been through it ourselves. Now, should we seek to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone that has hurt us? Yes. That is healthy. That is biblical. That is what God desires for us. 
But if that is how we define forgiveness, then forgiving someone means that we are to treat them as if they had never hurt us in the first place. Thus setting ourselves up to be hurt again and again and again. If we seek to stop feeling angry or resentful, but recognize that forgiveness is the canceling of a debt, then it's not our feelings that determine whether we have forgiven someone, but our choice. We choose to forgive and then work on our feelings. Sometimes the hurt is just that hard to sort through. Though I'll tell you, it's way easier to sort through the feelings after you've made the choice to forgive, to cancel the debt. Forgiveness is hard, man. It's real hard. And we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with forgiveness, don't we? We love forgiveness when it's poured out over us, which is completely understandable. There's a comfort to knowing that the hurt you did to someone, the lies that you told about them, or the way that you treated them, or whatever unkind thing that took place between the two of you, that that has been forgiven, that your debt has been canceled, that they are no longer seeking justice for your flaws and your failures towards them. That's when we love forgiveness. That's when it's, when it's given to us. But how do we feel when forgiveness is given to someone that has hurt us? Do we like forgiveness then? We're having a hard time choosing to cancel the debt, choosing not to seek justice. Because, man, they hurt us real bad. Or they hurt someone that we love incredibly deeply. And, and it's hard to let that go. And as we are struggling to deal with the reality that we are asked to forgive them, we realize that God does not share our reluctance. He has forgiven them freely and completely. And how do we feel about that? How are we doing with that? Yeah, we got a love-hate relationship with forgiveness, don't we? Especially since we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiving others is clearly a part of God's desire for us. It's part of his plan for his people. And if we think that we might be able to wiggle off the hook in some way, find some excuse where that is not what Jesus means, what God is instructing us in this prayer, Jesus removes all doubt when he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15, the verses that directly follow the Lord's prayer, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oof. This seems incredibly unfair. Some of us have been sinned against in heinous and horrible ways. We or people we know have had terrible things done to them by other people. And if we don't forgive, if, if the people we know, the people we love, don't forgive those that have sinned against them, then they can't count on receiving forgiveness? How is this fair? How is this okay? So we need to break this down a little bit more. There are a few things we're going to hit this morning that will help us get a solid biblical picture of what Jesus is telling us in this prayer and then later in Matthew 6. First, we again need to rest in what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the canceling of a debt. That's what Jesus did. He canceled our debt. He was the propitiation for sin. He paid the price that we could not. Because of him, we are forgiven. And when we are forgiven, the sins that we have been forgiven are no longer held against us. 
They have been taken as far as the east is from the west. They no longer belong to me or to you. Jesus took them. And so God does not hold them against us. The debt has been canceled. Justice has been carried out. Christ has suffered. There is nothing more to be done. It is finished. So when we are forgiving others, it is to look similar. Forgiving those that have hurt us is to no longer seek spiritual justice. It is to say, I forgive you. I will not pursue the justice that I deserve against you. It is not saying, at least not initially or not all the time, that you are no longer hurt by that person. Some things take years to get past. Some wounds take a long, long time to heal. And that healing process is part of our sanctification. It is God working on us, changing us to be more like him so that we can see others the way that he sees them. It is God working, shaping our hearts. If forgiveness demanded that we be emotionally okay with the person that has deeply hurt us, how long would it take us to actually forgive? How long before we could rely on God's forgiveness? No. Forgiving is giving them over to God. It is canceling the dead. And God works on our hearts to heal the emotional side. The second thing we need to remember about forgiveness is that it does not eliminate earthly consequences. If your boyfriend cheats on you, you need to forgive him, but you do not need to keep him as your boyfriend. Many inmates have been forgiven for the things that they have done. They still have to serve the time. I can ask the policeman who pulled me over for forgiveness, for speeding. I'm still going to have to pay that ticket. Forgiveness is not an escape from earthly consequence. It is the canceling of a debt, and there is a difference. And the third thing to remember about forgiveness is that we need to ask, remind ourselves who it is for. Is forgiveness for the person being forgiven? Or is forgiveness for the person doing the forgiving? There was a man in my life once that hurt some people that I love very much. The things that he did were unspeakable. The process of forgiving him was not a short one. I didn't want to. I know that some of those he hurt are still struggling with the idea that they should even have to forgive him. How do you forgive someone that has done those things to you? Done those things to someone you love? How do you let them off the hook? Someone who knows a thing or two about having horrible things done to them is Corey Tenboom. I don't know if you're all familiar with Corrie Ten Boom, but she was a Christian in Germany during World War II. Her family was caught smuggling and hiding Jews from the Secret Service, and so she and her sister spent 10 months in a Nazi concentration camp. Her sister died there 15 days before Corrie was released. After the war, she wrote a book about her experiences called The Hiding Place, and it's one of the most profound books on forgiveness you will ever read. In the book, she describes her struggle that ultimately led to her forgiveness of those responsible for the horrific and inhumane injustices that were afflicted upon her and her family. When describing this radical forgiveness, she writes, To forgive is to set a prisoner free, only to discover that prisoner was you. The man who hurt the people I love is dead now. Withholding forgiveness does nothing to him. But the people that I love, some of the people that I love, are still in the prison of their anger and their hurt because they refuse to forgive him still. 
what they are feeling is justified. It is righteous anger. What was done was horrible. And yet the unwillingness to forgive has made them prisoners just the same. And that's hard to reconcile. We want some measure of justice. When we are hurt, when those that, have, that we love are hurt, we want to know that we got a piece back. That we landed at least one blow. And sometimes the only recourse we have is to withhold forgiveness. It's the straw that the drowning man is clinging to, but that straw won't save the man from drowning. And holding on to the perception of power, the anger, the hurt, the rage, keeping it for ourselves won't free us from the cell. To be free, we must let go. We must give it to the one who can seek justice, the one who chose us before the creation of the world, the one who has adopted us into sonship, the one who has poured his grace out over us freely, the one who sent us Jesus. And Jesus came and lived among us. He ate with us, talked with us, laughed with us. He taught us, he healed us, he fed us, and he led us. And one day he was betrayed by us, and, and he was put through a rigged trial, and he was sentenced to die, and up on a hill he carried the instrument of his death, a large wooden cross. But with that cross, he also carried the sins of the world. Every time that we have hated our neighbor, every time that we have cheated, every time that we have lied, every time that we have worshipped idols, every time that we have wronged someone intentionally or unintentionally, every time that we have needed forgiveness, every time that we have withheld forgiveness, Jesus took all of it upon himself. And there on the cross, he died for it. He paid the price that we could not. Our debt before God was canceled because Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. And so because of his sacrifice, as our text this morning tells us, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven on account of Christ. For Jesus did not stay dead, but three days later he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we have faith in him, when we receive the benefits of the forgiveness that he has purchased, we are brought into the family of God. The rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What a fantastic promise that we can rest in, that we can rejoice in. Like the servant we opened the sermon with this morning, the deep, vast ocean of our sin has been forgiven. All the things that you have done wrong, they are forgiven. Whatever you bring to God in repentance, it has been forgiven. There is not a sin that Jesus refused to die for. He paid it all, every one. There is nothing that you have done that would have stopped Jesus from allowing himself to be put on the cross. So great is his love for you. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you're still struggling to grasp grace and forgiveness and, and how it could be given to you or how it could be given to those that have hurt you. But know this. God loves unconditionally, and God has forgiven unconditionally. You may be processing forgiveness in your relationship with the Lord, but his processing is done. He loves you. Your debt is canceled, and he is calling you to live in the fruits of forgiveness, to be set free from the prison we put ourselves in, to live in the faith that he has given us, to be, free, to, to be sanctified as he works in our hearts through those or works in our hearts towards those that have hurt us, to trust in him, to believe, to have faith. God is calling us, church. How will we respond? Sometimes it's hard for us to recognize 
our sin is as massive as it is. I don't know about the churches in other areas of the world, but I know that we here in the States have done a pretty bang-up job of justifying some of our sin, of making it look like we are less sinful and others are more sinful, particularly those that disagree with us. It's more convenient that way. Sometimes it is easy to look at the known sinners around us and see their failings and flaws and we get so focused on how our sin doesn't look like their sin. But we are still sinful, church. Let us guard our hearts from the lies of the devil. Though our sin may look different, we're human. We're sinners. We're just as rotten at the core as anyone. So church, let us remember the warning of the first servant. That each of us has a debt so large that there was never any hope of us ever being able to pay it off. May God open our eyes to the ways that we have failed him if we do not see it already. May God show us when we are being the first servant and may we rejoice in that for his debt was canceled. On account of Christ and because of God's great love for us, the massive debt has been canceled. But as we rejoice, let us also heed the warning and not then turn around and withhold forgiveness from our neighbor, from our friend, from our brother or sister. Let us not withhold forgiveness from our enemy. For withholding will only put us in a prison cell. And Jesus means for us to be free. To be free, we must be forgiven. And to stay free, we must forgive. Forgiveness is hard. But it is also beautiful. How thankful I am for the forgiveness that God has poured out over each of us. Church, let us pray for the courage, the strength, the audacity to forgive generously that we would not poison our hearts and lock ourselves in the prisons of our own bitterness. God has called us to forgive and to trust justice to him. And if we find ourselves frustrated by God's grace and mercy, may he be at work in our hearts reminding us of how he has had grace and mercy on us. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, loving, and forgiving God we serve. Amen.